0: Our look at parables and stories from the book of Luke will continue here today on Truth For Today as Pastor Phil Howard will take us to Luke chapter 10. Join us there. One of the greatest parables slash stories ever told. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Hi there. Welcome to today's broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church right here in Hercules. We're continuing with our series out of the book of Luke, wherein we're looking at the various parables and stories that Luke records for us, unlike any other gospel account. And today, we turn our attention to Luke chapter 10, where we find the parable of the Good Samaritan. Join us there for today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Here's Pastor Phil.
1: We're in a series on the parables of Christ, and I've just taken the parables in the book of Luke. Uh, there's many more. But uh, we come to the parable of the Good Samaritan, and uh, I, I think it's maybe one of the most popular of them. And, uh, but it's an astounding parable once you discover the context and the purpose for the parable because you must see the narrative of what's going on that even gives birth to this marvelous, marvelous story. And uh, we will pick up in verse 25. And you must get this before you ever go to the Good Samaritan story. Uh, Listen to what he says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, this would really be a theologian. We're not talking about forensic law, uh, community law. This is a, a man that was an expert in the law of Moses. So he's a theologian. So this uh, theologian, he comes, and what is his motive but to test Christ? Ec pirazo. He is going to draw him out in order that he may trap him and trip him up. He has no motive to learn anything. He just wants to get this itinerant teacher exposed that he's not in keeping with the theology of the Pharisees. So he wants to expose him. He has no motive. Have you ever had people ask you a question not to learn but to expose your ignorance? That's what he's doing. He wants to expose Christ. He's going to test him. So the motives are twisted. And he comes from the position of a smart aleck. He knows. I'm an expert. You're messing in my field. Don't be out here teaching. Rabbi, I am a theologian. I'm a lawyer in this field. So he tests him. And here's the test. No sincerity, just a test question. What must I do... To inherit eternal life. Now, that might be the most important question you could ever ask in all of your life. What must you do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question, is it not? A great question. Too bad it was not sincerely asked, but you need to weigh that out. I am amazed at the answers we get both from those who profess to be Christians and those on the street. 2020 just, uh, uh, rather, I I saw a thing with Dr. Ron Allen on the streets of Dallas uh, asking people, how does one get to heaven? You cannot believe, I don't think there was one out of ten that had a right answer. Most of it went this way. You live a good life. Well, I've been a good person. Uh, Be nice. Uh, Don't run over your grandma. Uh, Something, you know, some kind of good works trip. I'm good, self-defense, uh, well, I, on. no one said Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, no one. When you give the answer, what would you tell someone? And someone after this service says, how can I have eternal life? Well, now this man is living under the law, and you find out there's only one of two ways to heaven. There's two ways you can get to heaven. Two ways. Okay? And so he's going to give this man the first way you can go to heaven. And he gives him this reply. Uh, Christ comes back. What is written in the law? He said, how do you read it? Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So, number one, anyone here, if you want to go to heaven, let me give you the first way you can go. Perfectly obey God, and he'll let you go to heaven. Just perfectly obey, and you got it made. Is that fair? I knew some of you were upset because you want me to say this one way. No, I told you there's two. The first one, go for it. Go for it. And this lawyer, he's going for that route. I'm going to get to heaven because I've done these two commandments. The two greatest commandments, love God with your whole being, love your neighbor, and the two greatest sins you could ever commit, the two greatest sins is not to love God and not to love your neighbor. It doesn't matter what the deed is, but just an unloving act towards a neighbor, you've blown it. So the guy said, hey, I've got the answer. I know how to get to heaven. You absolutely do. You've answered right online. You've quoted the law, but you don't know Galatians yet where it says by the deeds of the law shall no one be justified in God's sight. No one will ever be justified by law deeds because nobody keeps the law. No one. No one. Only the teacher talking to him can keep the law for he was the lawgiver. So this man is still, I got him. I gave the theological answer of the day. All right. Uh, then he wants to do something else. Watch what it says here but he wanted to justify himself that is he wanted to be righteous in his own eyes so he asked jesus and eh, this is just theological he didn't who is my neighbor ah ah see the the jews and especially the pharisees had narrowed neighbor down to a very convenient few. First of all, a neighbor had to be a Jew. No question about that. Uh, Two, the Pharisees had moved it. They had to be a Pharisee. And they kept narrowing it down so that your neighbor is that select few I like. And uh, probably gets down to you and me and I. Uh, and so they had narrowed it down. And in his own mind, he, he's, he's posing Christ as, when Christ gets through answering this, I'll be vindicated that I'm a righteous man. I got it made. I'm home safe. Then Christ tells the famous story. To answer this, and so the first thing we must know, the parable is told to prove to this man by the works of the law, you won't get to heaven because you fail on both counts. And I will prove it to you by going to the compassionate God of the Bible who says that we, when we love him, will manifest it in a compassionate attitude towards people regardless of race, religion, ethnicity. We will find the neighbor Because everybody's not my brother, but I find out everybody's my neighbor. See, everybody's not bro with us, because we know you must be born again. But everybody in humanity, some way, has a neighbor relation. So he's going to tell the story to deal with a self-righteous, self-justifying overconfident man that's going to hell, as religious as you can get, thinking he's right in his own eyes. So it's a very uh, potent answer to a self-righteous man. Here he goes. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a spit Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. This is almost about two weeks' worth of rent. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, notice, he does not say the Samaritan. This is a cuss word to a Jew at this time. The one who had mercy... On him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Let's get the story. This is a very common event, the story Jesus tells. They had a pathway that went from Jerusalem to Jericho, 17 miles, Uh, it descended 3,300 feet. The Dead Sea is about twelve to 1,300 feet beneath sea level. Jerusalem is about 2,000 feet. This way was notorious. Priests lived in Jericho, and they would serve their rotation at the temple and do their duties, and then they would go back to their town right there in Jericho. About 17 miles. It became known as the Bloody Way, the Way of Blood. Uh, It was dangerous for 400 years after Christ. It was a bloody trail. If you go there today, it's still uh, pretty dangerous. You can go off the edge pretty easy. You folks going to Israel, be careful the bloody way. Uh, Right out of Jerusalem going south. Well, this man, for one thing, is a foolish traveler to travel by himself. The Jews normally traveled in packs if they could. Because the place was full of uh, people who hated Rome, but would fall on and rob people. They can run up the wadis, get out of there quick. It was a dangerous place. You didn't need to be out there by yourself. It's like going down a dark alley in a bad part of town. You shouldn't do it alone. And so, uh, all of a sudden, this man is beat up, stripped naked. And Christ sets it up with three different responses. Uh, People love the story because it makes the clergy look bad. A priest and a Levite. Both of these guys have been engaged in religious activity. They're coming from the temple, most likely. Since they're descending, it's believed that they're coming from temple, going home. So, what is their involvement? We're never told why they don't touch the man. Some say uh, they thought he was dead and to touch him they would be ceremonially unclean. They would not be ceremonially unclean unless they were going to Jerusalem. They were going home so they wouldn't be defiled. You can go home having touched a dead man. You just can't go to temple. So that would be out. Uh, Dangerous. Why get involved? This is dangerous stuff. We might get robbed ourselves. Uh, So we don't want to do that. Uh, Most likely, uh, uh, they looked at their palm quarter and uh, they had a lot of bookings. (laughs) They're very booked up. Their calendar said, no, 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 no. I got to get home mow the lawn. I've been away a couple days at temple. I got to get home. We're never told why they did not get involved. We only know that their life verse was the other side the other side go around hurting people i've got time to be religious i just have no time for hurting people if you got beat up you were stupid you ought to be more careful and so they go around all of a sudden christ brings in a character that is an offense it's an offense. He brings in a Samaritan. You, you you think we've got racial strife? Let me tell you, Jews and Samaritans at this time hated each other with a passion. In 700 BC, the Assyrians brought in a bunch of people to invade uh, Israel, and they brought them in and they got them to intermarry with Jewish women, and it was a form of genocide. It was to just break down the racial distinctions. Israel was not to intermarry with other races. But they brought these Assyrians in. And so Jews viewed a Samaritan, which many of them became half-breeds. And the community, uh, many of them went insane. There was so much intermarrying. Messed up the genetics. But uh, the Jew viewed them as someone they did not accept all the Old Testament uh, there was a story that they invaded the temple and committed sacrilege. So they had violated temple in the Jewish mind. They disregarded Torah. Uh, they were a half-breeds. They were a form of genocide against the Jews. They hate them. The rabbis would daily pray many times, let the Samaritan go to hell. That was We've got literature that says that. They referred to Samaritans as swine. They would accept an alien. An alien could become a proselyte of Israel, but never a Samaritan. Matter of fact, one time in the Gospels, when they wanted to insult Christ above everything, they called him a Samaritan. That is worse than a dog. This man, it'd be like a PLO trying to help a Zionist. It'd be like a, a Protestant helping a Catholic in North Ireland. It'd be like uh, being in the deep south in its worst moments and one of the other race stopping to help another member. I mean, this man to bring a Samaritan in this story is just, is just counterculture. This man is not to be there because everything in the scene is Jewish. The man that's been beat up is Jewish. The two men that walk by him are Jewish. And all of a sudden, a despised swine of a dog does something that is astounding. He neither has the religious credentials to help nor the racial connection. He simply has compassion. That's the only virtue that really is said. Compassion that's later on called mercy. Uh, What does he do? Well, he uh, does several things. He uh, comes in contact with the man. He will not go around him. Are we not good at conveniently going around people? You just know how to get around it. I think of what Jesus said. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, and you visited me. When's the last time any of us visited a prison? When's the last time you went to the hospital to see somebody that wasn't your relative? Just to be merciful. There's no sick people, are there? No, you haven't hung around to see. There's sick people everywhere. There's aging people, gray heads, widows, loneliness. But we have a way. Compassion has an eye to see what the other side people never want to see. They see it, they go around, but he made contact. That was a big thing, a big thing. And so uh, notice what it says about him. Uh, He was going down, and when it came to that Samaritan, it said he, verse 33, he took pity on him, compassion, and it literally is the word we get from uh it's our word for bowel. But you 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 feel it in the deep they, that was the seat of the emotions. He was moved internally, he felt gut-wrenching, but it's the kind of thing it doesn't stay with a feeling, it moves to action. Compassion in Christ would move him to do something. So he's moved with compassion. So he gets involved, he makes contact. And compassion is a good word. Let me tell you what it really means. It means uh, uh, it's similar to mercy to have pity on anyone suffering from the results of sin. Sickness, crises, we've all been touched by sin. So take your sin all the way back to Adam and Eve sickness in the family, uh, our bodies our emotional problems, our relational problems. We're all suffering from some aspect of sin. And compassion and mercy say, I have pity on those suffering from some aspect of sin. And uh, the man does genuine care for the man. He does six things. He stoops down to make contact. The man may be dead. There might be flies on him. That's not an easy assignment. Then he bandaged his wounds. Uh, Guess where he gets the bandages? Probably his head wrap. They wore several layers of clothes on themselves. They would sometimes, if they could afford to have linen. This man uh, has a little bit of money because he has a mule. He owns an animal. So somewhere on his own person, he takes off one of his own garments and he tears it up into rags to bandage the man. He anoints him with oil and wine. Oil brought uh, soothing and wine was their only disinfectant. Uh, Very practical. Loads the man on his own animal. And so he walks the next 10 miles home. Takes him to an inn. Pays the rent. Provides the care. Does all this practical stuff. Uh, Picks up the tab. And uh, Jesus asked the man, who didn't want to answer, I'm sure, who was the neighbor? Instead of finding out, out here, who's the neighbor, he shows a neighbor at work, what a neighbor in God's mind would look like what loving your neighbor would look like when God gave Leviticus 19. Not the Jewish interpretation, not this self-righteous Pharisee's interpretation, but the God who gave Leviticus 19 says, this is what I meant when I said, love your neighbors yourself. I didn't say walk around them. I didn't say be so busy with religion. You have no time for fallen, beat up, emaciated people. I'm not that kind of God. Quit memorizing your verses and stumbling over the drunks. This God is a God who gets involved with a fallen, emaciated world lying in its own blood. And if He didn't get involved, none of us would be saved. We keep looking for folks clean enough to be saved. We've lost the eyes of mercy. And so he's saying, this is what I meant when I said, love your neighbors yourself. I mean, bandage your neighbor if he needs bandages. I mean, contact with him when he's running a fever, when he's another race, when he's someone you don't know. It's not this narrow Jewish view. It goes beyond race. It goes beyond all these...
0: We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today. Well, that's why we're here. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call, 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. Please bear in mind as you contact us that this is a listener-supported ministry. As you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this radio station prayerfully consider how you might get involved in the ministry of Truth For Today, won't you? 855-833-9864 or write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And that website, once again, truthfortodayradio.org. It is a pleasure spending time with you in God's Word. We trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.